So I actually had a client who called and said, hey, I got a new job. Uh, I work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and it's out far away from our office. I said, great, I work 7 to 5. So when am I going to see you again? <laughs> because everything is so short supply in the medical community, suppliers are not taking on new customers. So it's now a mobile as in telemedicine for psychiatry, wellness, and addiction. There's many of you I would have never met because we don't live in the same area, but thanks to utilizing telehealth and this video chatting service, we we're able to connect and consult and learn about new resources. The impact that we've seen in our rural communities, if that went away, there would be a huge problem statewide. Welcome back. This is Something for the Pain, a podcast produced by Project Echo Idaho, made for Idaho's healthcare professionals working to prevent, treat, and facilitate recovery from opioid and substance use disorders in Valley County and throughout the Gem State. I'm your host, Sam Steffen. Well, the E stands for extensions, looking where we aim to be. CH is for community healthcare, the welfare of you and me. Today we're talking all about telehealth. With the onset of COVID-19, many healthcare organizations have begun to use technology platforms as an alternative to in-person visits. While there are many advantages to utilizing telehealth services, it also presents new challenges. We'll look at the pros and cons of telehealth services in the context of providing treatment and counseling to individuals with substance use disorders. Drew Holiday, Case Management Team Coordinator at Trivium Life Services in Boise, is going to share a presentation she gave as a part of Echo Idaho's Counseling Techniques for Substance Use Disorders series. I'm also going to talk with Courtney Hill, a certified physician assistant at the Cascade Medical Center in Cascade, Idaho, and the owner of McCall Mobile Medicine, a new healthcare service that brings psychological, therapeutic, and addiction medicine services to patient homes. All of that is coming up in today's episode of Something for the Pain. Idaho, sign up for our free sessions. There's a handful every month. Echo Idaho, you can earn CE credit while you sit and eat your lunch. Here's Drew Holiday presenting telehealth's role in accessing substance use disorder care. This presentation was recorded live as a part of Echo Idaho's Counseling Techniques for Substance Use Disorders series on January 6, 2022. To introduce the presenter, here's Echo Idaho Program Manager, Lindsay Winters-Jewell. Hello and welcome to Echo Idaho's Counseling Techniques for Substance Use Disorders. I'm Lindsay and I am an Echo Program Manager Today, Drew Holiday, I'm as our presenter. She is a case management team coordinator with Trivium Life Services in Boise. And the topic is telehealth's role in accessing SUD care. And I'm Drew Holiday. I'm the case management team coordinator at Trivium Life Services here in Boise. Um, I've been doing case management about four years now, and I'm currently going back to school to get my MSW. So, um, if you guys remember about two weeks ago, Amy McKenzie did a talk on telehealth and how to support providers and its efficacy. 
um, a lot about how to integrate that into our treatment. So today I wanted to come from a case management perspective and just talk about from our own agency, what we've experienced with telehealth, the barriers, the benefits, how useful it's been. Um, so what we should learn from this is what are the benefits of telehealth from a treatment and case management perspective? How can we overcome the barriers it does present and how do we best support our clients? And what are the benefits of utilizing telehealth as a mode of treatment? So with us, we found, crunching the numbers, that our census actually increased which is good, right? So we were really excited to see that people were accessing mental health and substance use treatment more often. We were hoping that telehealth helped that, right? We had more people coming in from all over the area. So this is the list of the benefits that we found after starting telehealth. Transportation and childcare, huge case management point. Um, that really changed with telehealth. Geographic location, of course, um, Time constraints and comfort, we'll talk about how that changed a little bit. The obvious option of COVID safe with telehealth, um, that's why we all began using it. Uh, connection and community and consultation and supervision and how that's all changed. So transportation is probably one of the biggest barriers that telehealth has helped reduce. Um, so substance use, a lot of our clients have um, legal charges that don't allow them to drive. Um, we have many clients that struggle to maintain payments on a vehicle, don't have vehicles, uh, lack of consistency in rides, or are reliant on public transit or medical transport that is not always the most reliable in our area. And we also have clients that are very early in recovery, so there might be some continued use um, or some crises where they have used and now they're calling out for help. We don't want them driving if they have used, obviously. And so being able to contact them, you know, face-to-face -face with telehealth has really changed our ability to reach them and not just be kind of a stranger on the end of the phone. So that's been a really great benefit. Um, it's also cut down on the, oh no, my car won't start, my tire blew, um, you know, my partner needed the car today, I have a sick kid unexpectedly, it really prevents them from missing out because hopefully if they have a device, they're able to go ahead and just jump in last minute. So even if they're normally in person with us, they don't have to miss out, which has been really nice. Childcare, that's been a game changer as well. So here at our facility, we actually offered childcare years ago before this all began um, as a benefit to our clients. We have a lot of groups. We're open nine to nine. So we have some groups that are six to 9 p.m., um, trying to help people who need access after work, but also where do your kids go, right? Um, they're not in school at that time. So when our childcare got shut down, we found that with telehealth, it allowed, especially single parents, the ability to still attend group while tending to their children. One of the big things that we found was women in our attendance actually increased 10%. Um, we can't fully attribute that, obviously, to childcare, but um, we did get some client feedback that they felt that they could, you know, put the kids to bed in a 10 group in another room. Um, they let us know there was less worry for their child's well-being and a huge financial burden was lifted because they weren't paying, you know, a babysitter or childcare for three hours while they attended group or a session. So although we lost in-person childcare, this helped kind of alleviate some of that stress. Geographic location, that's huge. Um, with telehealth, we've been able to expand our services across the state of Idaho which has been great. We're centered in Boise and we have an office in Caldwell, um, pretty populated areas, especially for the state of Idaho. 
but we were actually able to reach in the last, I think, two, two and a half years is what I pulled. Um, individuals in McCall, Marsing, Middleton, Wilder, Mountain Home, Twin Falls, and even some individuals out of state, um, which is saving them the commute, um, especially in the winter months, um, not having to have people drive that McCall route, if you're familiar, um, hopefully save some car accidents. Um, but also people were able to find, you know, specialists in trauma, maybe like eating disorders. We had a lot of different um, specialties that were now available, um, even if they're not in the area. And something else we found was as an agency, um, it's obviously hard to expand and establish new offices in more rural areas where you're going to find the staff, um, what building, you know, how do you expand with that with the overhead cost? Um, but we were actually able to expand without having to leave our current office. Um, so that took away the agency's barrier to expanding, but still allowed individuals to get the help they needed, especially if it wasn't already offered in their area. Time constraints and comfort. This was one that I didn't see coming, but it panned out really well. Many of our clients, um, especially those working manual labor jobs, they work very long hours and it can be inconsistent or they might be traveling, you know, hey, our job site's in Mountain Home today, but it's in Emmett tomorrow. Um, so I actually had a client who called and said, hey, I got a new job. Um, I work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and it's out far away from our office. I said, great, I work seven to five. So when am I going to see you again? <laughs> um, and so we were actually able to compromise and we used his lunch hour and met at that time via telehealth. So it saved him having to drive into town to our office and back. Um, but we were able to accomplish what we needed to for case management. We didn't have to wait two weeks to be able to see each other. He didn't have to take time off work. Um, so much less of a burden. It also saves the commute of driving. I personally have had appointments that I know weren't going to last too long, maybe a quick check-in for results with the doctor, but it's a 25-minute drive there and 25 back. But just doing it over the phone, it was done in 15. You know, I could get back to work. It wasn't too disruptive to my day. So that has been really helpful with clients. Clients who struggle with social anxiety, this gives them an option to kind of feel comfortable in accessing treatment or get used to it before they come in in person. Maybe they never come in person. Maybe that's just how they prefer it. But it helps us to work with them and meet them where they're at. And then when they're ready to build those skills and then come in person and integrate if they choose to, they don't have to get thrown in right away. Something else we found that came up as well, we had a case where someone was very new in recovery um, and they felt really nervous about coming into a group of people. Um, they felt that they were going to be triggered or ask somebody where they can find substances. They didn't want to turn around and use right after the group. And so we met them where they're at. They asked if they could do telehealth and then build those skills and slowly integrate into our groups in person. And that worked out well for them. Um, so it just gives you a little bit more option to work with the case presented. Something else we found was, um, I know Zoom does, I don't know about any other platforms, but they actually allow an interpreter option um, so this caters to language and interpretation needs, which is great. So there's no barriers there if you have a client that's not English speaking. The obvious reason we have telehealth, COVID, um, it allows people, we've had a ton that were exposed and maybe they're feeling great, but they can't come in for obvious reasons. So they're still able to access their treatment, stay up with the curriculum and stay close to their community here. Um, and we get to make sure they're okay. So if there's anything going on, we can get them help. So isolated due to exposure, illness, any other debilitating health concerns, they're still able to connect with us. 
Um, it's also a safer option for vulnerable clients. We've had a lot that are dealing with um, physical illnesses, you know, cancer, autoimmune, a lot of those vulnerable populations still able to access but feel safe and that they won't get sick. Connection and community. Um, so individuals facing isolation, living alone, unstable home lives in the last two years have obviously that's taken a toll on most of us, I'd assume they still have access to a community of individuals and recovery-minded activities. So recovery groups, and we've talked about this before, um, they became available outside of your direct community or your geographic location. So no longer was it, you know, going to the meeting that's closest to you, you could access in different countries, different cultures, different times. Um, and we got some feedback from clients who had years of recovery under their belts. And they said it was nice to be able to step out of their comfort zone and just experience something new, learn from a new group of people, access, you know, a different country and see how their country or that another culture approaches recovery. Um, and so it kind of refreshed their investment, which was really interesting. And then we also had clients who were able to access recovery groups 24 seven um, due to the different time zones and it being online. So we had a couple clients called in, it was about 9 PM, you know, we're closing. They're like, I'm feeling really triggered. I don't know what to do. We're like, hey, you know, have you been attending meetings when you're feeling this way? Have you talked about it with your peers? And they were actually able to jump online and access what they needed and get a little bit of community feel for it. So that was really helpful. Consultation and supervision. It's added to their convenience, right? Meeting time, scheduling, reducing commutes. It just helps being able to access someone quicker without it being a phone call. Again, being able to see face-to-face. -face. And then consultation. Echo is a great example. There's many of you I would have never met because we don't live in the same area, but thanks to utilizing telehealth and this video chatting service, we're able to connect and consult and learn about new resources uh, with office hours opening. We'll have a direct connection to people who are in the field within our state, even out of state, um, that are going through what we're going through. That can be helpful for burnout. So keep providers in the field because we know how important that is, but also learning beyond just our community and how we can make a difference. With anything, there are barriers. Um, so I wanted to make sure we touched on some of the barriers that have come up for us um, in switching to telehealth or utilizing a hybrid of both. Um, we've combated lack of access to devices. So we have been able to use community resources to help um, get devices in our clients' hands. So we use Q-Link and Assurance Wireless. Um, this helps with the government-assisted phones or the Obama phones. Basically, we just showed that they're using a state service like Medicaid, um, a few other services you can use, and they will send them a phone. They typically have video capability, internet capability. Um, they have a certain amount of like data, things like that, and our clients are able to access what they need to. We also use our self-help rescue manual. We have one for Ada County. There's one in Canyon County. Hopefully, if you're outside of those counties, yours has one as well. Um, it's just a list of resources that we can all access. And that's what our case managers typically use to find what might work for the issue that presents. During COVID, we had some resources that were willing to help pay for Wi-Fi, especially for students, like homes that had students in it for school, and also paying phone bills to make sure that phone stays on. So clients that did have a phone, but maybe lost their job or struggling to find anyone, um, they were still able to connect. Um, another issue that we had was lack of privacy. So obviously being home, some people would want to call in in the car, driving down the road, um, obviously not safe. 
and maybe like grandma was sitting next to them. They might not want to talk about their trauma with the family in the room. Um, so we'd always make a point to say, hey, let's utilize headphones that, you know, it's more private. And then, you know, do you consent to feeling comfortable talking about this in your current setting? Um, so that kind of helped at least point out the issue of privacy and it gave them the power to say, yeah, I feel okay. It's fine. Or no, um, if they didn't, we just tried to reschedule or problem solve. Um, safety was another one. We wanted to make sure because the client wasn't sitting, you know, right in front of us, um, safety was discussed. So we would ask information like, Hey, where are you at right now? Are you home? Are you calling me from work? You know, what's going on? Um, what are your plans for the day? Do you feel safe right now? Um, in some safety planning we would do, we discuss who's present in the area in the event we need to report or call for help. So as I'm sure we're all familiar with, um, sometimes a typical session can turn to crisis really quick and we want to make sure we know how to help them, right? Without a location or knowing who's around, how do we get someone there to help them? Um, so we also ask that they don't use false backgrounds. So that way we can see what's around them. That helps give us context clues, but we can also make sure there's no one there with them that we don't know about. Um, so it helps with privacy as well. We actually had a client who called in for um, a telehealth assessment. Um, she was talking and her eyes kept diverting to the corner and she seemed like she wasn't willing to divulge information. And it turned out that she was in um, a pretty abusive relationship and the person who was responsible for that was standing there kind of forcing her to change what she was telling us. So when we noticed that, we were able to pick up on those context clues and then we actually scheduled her to come in person but also gave her the resources and checked in with her safety and did what we needed to do to make sure she was okay. Um, so that was really important to be able to see what's going on. Um, lastly, something that came up recently is discomfort with group size. So as great as it is, as our census is increasing, um, so did our group sizes. So we've been working to split those group sizes and kind of change it up so that way they don't feel uncomfortable speaking. Because um, when those get too big, sometimes they feel they can't pipe up and say what they need to say. So that's something we've been working on as well. So the key points, um, telehealth provides diverse solutions for barriers to treatment. So it's just another tool in our tool belt to be able to help clients meet them where they're at and get them in for treatment. Because um, it's not always a clear cut path, right? So it's very helpful with that. Um, client enrollment and engagement has increased for us since offering telehealth services. Um, so now we're working on how to maintain that engagement because there's also Zoom fatigue, as we know. Um, so that's our next kind of tackling point. But it did increase, um, which is great. More people are getting the help they need. Um, barriers can be reduced with creative and community-based problem solving and resource availability. That's where case management is really going to come into play. Um, you know, talking with our community, not being afraid to reach out um, and doing what we can to really tackle this together is going to be really important. Um, and it expands our ability to reach those living in areas where treatment availability is sparse. So if they never had the option before, maybe now they do, and that can impact a life. much Drew for your presentation. Uh, I'd like to open up if people have some questions or comments. Thank you for a great presentation. This is Charlie Pohl, a clinical social worker at Cottonwood Creek Behavioral Health Hospital in Boise and a regular participant in ECHO's Counseling Techniques for Substance Use Disorders series. 
Just curious if you ever do hybrid groups where some people are in the room and some people are on Zoom and what that's like for you? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, from a case management, because I've never had to facilitate that group, um, it can be difficult. We actually were lucky enough as an agency, we could put um, large TVs in most of our group rooms, and those had cameras and microphones. So we were able to do that hybrid. Um, it's difficult. There's the, you know, I can't hear or my microphone's not working, like those kinds of things. We've been working through that. Um Initially, no one could hear, so we had to order, or we're trying to order certain microphones that hang in the middle of the room so you can hear better. We've talked about headphones for the facilitators, um, also making sure people are engaged. Um, so there's difficulties, but we have done it. Drew, I'm uh, Jerry Wilmus. I'm a physician in Missouri, and I also want to thank you for the presentation. I I think many of the messages uh, that you gave of the advantages, they're still being lost to a lot of the public beyond uh, substance use disorders. You mentioned, you know, the, the windshield time. If somebody has to drive X number of minutes to get them back to an appointment, um, work schedules, uh, the consultation, the supervision things, those are all so much easier in a telehealth uh, framework than, yeah. than the old way of doing things. So I just thanks, basically. Thanks. Yeah. Especially early January. I'm sure in Missouri as well. The snow is not always kind right. to us. <laughs> right. Drew, I had a question just in terms of what you think the growth potential is and continuing as people have normalized using yeah. being online for all sorts of things now. What what do you expect looking forward? Yeah, it's kind of baseline at this point, like telehealth, um, especially with our numbers kind of going up and down with COVID cases. We've kept certain things like assessments. We've kept online. We've kept our intakes. We have some groups back in person, but our bigger evening groups are are still telehealth. So we've kind of how Charlie was talking about, we've been able to do hybrids. Um, so I think telehealth is here to stay. I think now we're working toward how do we overcome one as providers, but also as clients that fatigue that most of us are feeling um, and how do we keep them engaged? Because there's no way to really replace that in-person connection, right? Um, as humans, we need that. And so trying to get creative with it is great. I guess the longevity of it is what we're working on now is how do we maintain that connection? Because I find myself kind of zooming out and kind of looking off in the distance sometimes in a meeting that's kind of long and I'm just staring at a screen all day and my eyes hurt and I'm tired. Um, so now we're trying to combat that. So I think the next barrier is how do we keep people engaged now that we're limiting barriers to actually accessing it? How do we keep them? Hey, it's Deborah Mueller. Deborah Mueller is a medical social work supervisor at the VA in Boise and a regular attendee of Echo Idaho's Counseling Techniques for Substance Use Disorders series. I'm not worried about that at all. Uh, I had the opportunity to be a group participant. My child is in IOT. ION, I-O-N, is an acronym that stands for Idaho Out of School Network. This is an Idaho initiative that seeks to connect Idaho's youth to quality education programs outside of school. And last week with the snowstorm, we flipped to 100% telework for one day instead of a partial mix where parents are at home and kids are in a group and parents are in a group. And number one, when you are listening on a video machine, you can hear so much better than when you are in a group with a mask on. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I, I find that to be very cool. But the kids, we had eight kids and nine parents all on. And the didactics were great. The kids were entertained. Of course, the facilitator is great at uh, hey, Charlie, you're not paying attention. Um, <laughs> what was it that I said, would you like to summarize? Uh, I don't, I, although I am tired of facilitating Zoom meetings myself, I think uh, that we there is an energy and an audience and a right time and place and convenience for all of our participants. Good. That makes me have hope. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I think too, something I didn't mention was um, I've been able to access trainings across the country that I wouldn't normally get to access or, you know, maybe corporate can't pay for me to fly across the country and stay three nights, but now I can come to work and, you know, I can zoom from the comfort of my office. And so that's also opened up a whole new world for us as providers, right? It's um, we get a little bit more access to how everyone else is doing it, which is awesome. Drew, did you see in the chat, um, Mark had a question about unforeseen struggles with reimbursement rates. I think that often reimbursement is one of the next questions that comes on people's minds when it comes to telehealth. Great question. Um, one I'm not super, super familiar with, um, but I think what I've heard at least is that before where telehealth was a zone nobody went in uh, as far as reimbursements, we've gotten a lot of great feedback from Medicaid here in Idaho trying to meet us where we're at and understanding, hey, this is something that's probably not going away. Um, and so my personally, from just my scope, I've seen a little bit more leniency, um, but I'm not sure. I, I would be curious. And that's something I could always bring back to my team and I could answer. Well, since COVID... This is Sarah Bennett speaking. Sarah is a licensed clinical professional counselor and a certified alcohol and drug counselor at Riverside Recovery in Lewiston. She's also one of the panelists for Echo Idaho's Counseling Techniques for Substance Use Disorders series. I don't know if you guys were aware, but pre-COVID, um, any SUD services were not billable through telehealth. So that all changed right when COVID happened in March of 2020. And so um, it's not a permanent change at this point, but there's discussions to make it permanent. And so at this point, it's still allowable. We don't know what the future holds, but I would have, I mean, I believe telehealth is here and the impact that we've seen in our rural communities, if they, if that went away, there would be a huge problem statewide. That again was Drew Holiday, Case Management Team Coordinator at Trivium Life Services, presenting her lecture on telehealth's role in accessing substance use disorder care. That lecture was recorded live as a part of Echo Idaho's Counseling Techniques for Substance Use Disorder series. If you'd like to watch the Zoom recording of that presentation, that video is currently available on the Echo Idaho YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. PowerPoint slide deck, as well as information about how to contact some of the organizations and services mentioned in that talk, are available in our podcast show notes on our podcast webpage, www.uidaho.edu slash echo hyphen podcast. One of the things Drew mentioned about telemedicine is the impact it can have on the ability for patients and clients to receive timely care. 
We've spoken a lot in this podcast about Idaho's rural and frontier landscape, which can make it difficult for residents to get to health and treatment centers, especially if they don't have access to reliable transportation. Today we're going to introduce you to a Valley County-specific service, McCall Mobile Medicine, which brings treatment services to residents in need. Here to speak with me is Courtney Hill, a resident of McCall and a certified physician assistant at the Cascade Medical Center in Cascade. She started McCall Mobile Medicine right before COVID-19 really picked up back in 2020. Welcome to the program, Courtney. I wanted to start out by just giving you the chance to introduce yourself and reminding us where you work and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Courtney Ann Hill, and I'm a physician assistant certified in the state of Idaho, um, working for Cascade Medical Center in Cascade, Idaho, as well as Life Change Associates in Pocatello, Idaho, uh, Rainbows and Recovery Center in Chalice, Idaho, and McCall Mobile Medicine, my own business in McCall, Idaho. Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And can you just tell us a little bit about what McCall Mobile Medicine is and how it got started? Yes. So initially, this was in the throes of COVID, in the midst of it. I had a vision to have a van and to go to people for their medical needs in a primary care aspect. I found out, though, that it was really hard to start up a business during COVID. If you had already had it established, it seemed like it was okay, but they were hesitant to ensure medical providers going into people's homes because of the risk of bringing COVID into the home. How, you know, what were the precautions in order to prevent cross-contamination? And I also found out that suppliers, because everything is so short supply in the medical community, like everything else, were not taking on new customers. So I decided to change it to, it's now a mobile as in telemedicine, um, phone or computer, Zoom. There's a few different apps I use for psychiatry, wellness, and addiction. So you're not driving around right now, but you are offering these services virtually. Yes. So originally it was with the van and it's cut back now to just telemedicine, which has allowed a lot of, I mean, I can treat people all over the state of Idaho, which is awesome. It doesn't just have to be in the valley. Right now, I'm not using that mode of transportation, but that is my vision for the next part (laughs) is to provide transportation for um, folks to the pharmacy or to appointments. Um, Actually, we want to do some more outdoor and trail therapy and so take them to trails and kind of do some wellness there. And being outside is a natural antidepressant. So using the beautiful outdoors here in the valley, but it's not there yet. And you said it's primarily psychiatric wellness and substance use disorder treatment. Um, Can you just elaborate a little bit on what those services might look like? Yeah, you know, kind of doing as thorough of an assessment as I can as far as medical history, medications, allergies, and then using, you know, certain screenings for diagnoses and history as far as adverse childhood events, trauma, because we're finding out that um, PTSD, complex PTSD is really at the core of a lot of mental illness. And then we're using substances to numb that pain or cope with it um, because that's kind of what we know, or it could be a family history. So it's really intertwined and It's complicated, but luckily I've been really blessed to, I worked um, inpatient psychiatry and outpatient 
Portneuf uh, in Pocatello, Idaho, starting out my career as physician assistant, and then was helping with Healthwest Suboxone Clinic, running that with Dr. Reagan for a while. So then I, you know, got me some great experience in initiating that in a very compassionate setting, which I really strive to do. And then we're now working for an inpatient recovery center, which deals with alcohol and all substance use. So I'm trying to tie in everything. And and then I have a passion for wellness. I believe that's important, you know, eating good food and having good sleep and having some breathing and just kind of tying in these foundational things in order to maximize the effect of the medicine and coping skills that they're learning. So for a patient who might be like starting on MAT, how, how could they access your services? So I have a website, McCallMobileMedicine.com. They, there is a link there where you can send an email or you can just call. Yeah, my number is on there. Okay, great. And then how do you charge people? All the pricings on the website. But, you know, if it's a really thorough like assessment, um, it's complicated, then I charge $80 for probably an hour or more. And, and then $40 for kind of a more acute, shorter treatment. It's been slow to get started, but I'm getting credential for most insurances in Idaho. So that will allow me then to, you know, let them use their insurance and then their copay, which is probably cheaper than $40. But I try to make it really affordable. Um, You know, they can do Venmo or check or just kind of on the honor system. And people have been really good about it. My goal and passion is to help and serve. And I don't want finances to be a barrier. Great. So I know you said that the van is not really that operational right now because of COVID, but I am curious to know the geographical range you cover when the van is operating. Is this just in McCall or do you go elsewhere in Valley County? I live in McCall, so it's easy to access all those areas there, but I work in Cascade too. So I drive in between everywhere and I know the Donnelly area pretty good. So I would say probably Round Valley to New Meadows. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm curious to know if you could share like a story or just like an example of a time you were on a site visit with somebody and what sorts of things you you were able to help. Yeah, yeah, there is one that sticks out. There was a young woman in Northern Idaho and she had just found out that she was pregnant. And so she had wanted to get off fentanyl. And so Peer Wellness called me and we're kind of like, we can't get her in to see anybody for like over a week. And um, so I was like, absolutely, because I'm just kind of like this acute go between right now, which is okay. You know, I'm kind of like, they can get into me. I'm open 24 seven, pretty much God willing and my phone being on and everything and in service, but get them enough to get them to their appointment and keep them off of. Um, substances. And then they have their continuity there. So we did a visit, got her enough medicine sent in and kind of triage as far as, you know, making sure that she was appropriate to start the medicine and making sure that she knew the risks and benefits and um, how she was going to get it. And she ended up taking buprenorphine only, small dose and got off um, the fentanyl and was able to make it to her um, OB appointment and kind of was going to manage after that. But she, at some point, she ended up being incarcerated for a while. But while she was there, she called at the Peer Wellness and really thanked them for all of their help and 
having them contact me and, and not waiting for it. And she said that she was sober and she wanted to be a peer recovery support when she got out. Wow. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> I was just, yeah, glad that she was okay. So the mobile medicine van is a thing that you started and you're currently the only person doing it. Do you anticipate having more staff or having other people help out with it in the future? Yeah, potentially. Uh-huh. I know a social worker and so she might come on, you know, I'm just kind of helping these acute patients right now, but um, I should give a shout out. There is a mountain mobile medicine in this, in the Valley and they are doing um, going to people's homes and doing more of an acute triage, more family medicine or urgent care services. So um, we've had some joint patients sometimes. So there is that service available now. Are there any other resources in Valley County that you work closely with or want to talk about here? There are great resources in Valley County that a lot of people are unaware of because they're pretty new. One of them being the Rock in McCall, Idaho, which also serves Cascade and Donnelly in conjunction with VCOR, which is the Valley County Opioid Response Project. It's a recovery-oriented community where they offer peer recovery coaches and support. So it's a free service. I also have worked with them in helping patients get medication or they've got them to the pharmacy for medications or to appointments uh, for counseling and other things needed for their recovery. And then you have um, counseling around the area. Central Idaho Counseling in McCall is a great resource for counseling. They serve a huge spectrum of patients from addiction to mood disorders, anxiety, uh, family, children, adolescent counseling. And then there's also quite a few individual practitioners and counselors around the area. And then of course, Cascade Medical Center, we have our social worker and uh, providers there providing MAT therapy and St. Luke's, their behavioral health center in McCall does too. Is there anything else that you wanted to share just about the importance of healthcare workers getting X wavered or having services like this available? I mean, I'm a huge proponent for it because there's a very small window when someone, you know, is ready for change and they're seeking it. It ebbs and flows and, but you just keep trying, keep trying. And yeah, and I just want to say thanks to you guys too for making, I I actually got X waivered through um, Echo Idaho. So um, thanks for putting that on remotely. And I just want to thank all the providers for all their hard work. This is our passion is, you know, serving people and helping them be the best they can be. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Courtney. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And you too. That again was an interview with Courtney Hill of McCall Mobile Medicine and the Cascade Medical Center in Cascade. Information about how to contact the organizations and services that Courtney mentioned are available in our podcast show notes on our website, www.uidaho.edu slash echo hyphen podcast. If you're interested in joining our free live echo sessions to receive continuing education credit, learn best practices, ask a question, or grow your community, please visit our website at www.uidaho.edu slash echo, where you can register to attend, sign up to receive announcements, donate, and find out more information about our programs.
Something for the Pain is brought to you by Echo Idaho, supported by the Whammy Medical Education Program and the University of Idaho, and is made possible by V-Corp, the Valley County Opioid Response Project. There's an epidemic going around called OPIOID. In the gym state, the overdose rate is on the RISE. To change it will take community-wide EFFORT. That's why they started VCOR, the VCORP. Well, I'm glad to know in Idaho there's the VCORP. A Valley County INITIATIVE. A community wide effort to reduce opioid OD through prevention, education, treatment, and recovery. We here at Echo also want to hear your feedback. We welcome your questions, comments, and suggestions and invite you to email us at echoidaho at uidaho.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to Something for the Pain using your podcast app. And if you have a moment, write us a review. Something for the Pain is made possible by grant number GA1RH39585 from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources, and Services Administration, HRSA. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of CDH or HRSA. Well, I'm glad to know that Idaho's got the VCORP in Valley County, I-N-I-T-I-A-T-I-V-E. A community-wide effort to reduce opioid OD through prevention, education, treatment, and recovery. Youth Advocacy Coalition, well, we call it YAC. www.westcentralmountainsyouth.org With events and ways to get I-N-V-O-L-V-E-D And they're all a part of VCOR, that's the VCORP. Voices you heard at the beginning of the episode were those of Drew Holiday, Courtney Hill, and Sarah Bennett, respectively. We'd also like to thank the other contributing voices on today's episode Lindsay Winters Jewell, Charlie Pohl, Jerry Wilms, and Deborah Mueller. We'd also like to thank the other members of our Counseling Techniques for Substance Use Disorders series panel Sarah Bennett, Lindsay Brown, Nari Sue, and Natalia Samodovsky. We'd also like to thank all of our listeners, without whom none of this would be possible. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. Michelle Smith is the Echo Idaho Program Director. Katie Palmer is our Assistant Director. Our Marketing Manager is Lindsay Lotus. Our Program Manager is Lindsay Winters-Jewell. Our Grant Services Manager is Kayla Blades. Jessica Whitlock is our Continuing Education Coordinator. Our Program Coordinators are Jocelyn Elvira, Laura Jackson, and Sam Stephan. You can earn CE credit while you sit and eat your lunch. Stands for extensions looking where we aim to be. CH is for community health care, the welfare of you and me. O is for the outcomes, that's the story we can tell. ECHO all together, well, you know what that spells. Echo Idaho. Sign up for our free sessions. There's a handful every month. Echo.
you're there. You can view our session topics, you can register and more. We'll email you the Zoom link if you haven't come before. Echo Idaho, sign up for our free sessions. There's a handful every month. Echo Idaho, you can earn CE credit while you sit and eat your lunch. But we started a new series, COVID-19. ourselves protected as we help each other through Echo Idaho Sign up for our free sessions, there's a handful every month Echo Idaho You can earn CE credit while you sit and eat your lunch When it comes to stopping COVID, that's an effort we Population's been among the hardest hits.